My guest today works with paper, fabric, print, and stitch in his fine art, his modern quilts, and textile designs, and it all comes together with a clean, modern aesthetic. Think gorgeous indigos, linens with acrylic texture, a masterful use of color, all coming together with stitch. To quilters and to art collectors, it's all pleasing to the eye. Today's guest might just leave you inspired to try some mini modern creative play. Welcome to the Quilter on Fire podcast. Hello and welcome to the Quilter on Fire podcast, where I explore quilting stories that will inspire, motivate, and bring you more joy and less overwhelm in your studio. I'm your host, Brandy Maslowski, also known as the Quilter on Fire, and I can't wait to share this week's episode with you. So here we go. David Owen Hastings is a graphic designer, gallery artist, and modern quilter. In his design office, he works exclusively with nonprofit organizations on branding and graphic design projects. In his art studio, he creates richly layered contemporary art pieces and modern quilt and textile designs. Sharing knowledge, encouraging creativity, and teaching new skills are his personal passions. And I can't wait to share his story with you. David, welcome to the show. Thank you, Brandy. It's so nice to be here with you today. It's so nice to have you here. Now, I always love to take a little look back. Did you start your creative journey as a young child? I actually did. You know, I I was so lucky. I lived right across the street from my elementary school, so I could just walk across the street to school. And therefore, we had a lot of really great programs that I could take advantage of. And one was that they brought uh, seniors, you know, older folks into the classroom to teach us things. And one of the things that I learned was knitting when I was about seven or eight years old. I can't remember exactly how old I was, but it was toward the end of my elementary school years. And I've been knitting ever since. And that kind of opened the door to sewing. You know, one of my grandmas taught me to use our our old Singer Rocketeer sewing machine about the same time. And so I was knitting and sewing and stitching since I was about seven, I think. So were there any trials and tribulations as a young boy doing what might otherwise be seen as sort of a feminine type of craft? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is the, you know, the the 60s into the 70s when I was growing up in Iowa, you know, the Midwest of the U.S. And there were no (laughs) role models for someone like me who wanted to stitch and sew. So really, I had to keep it on the DL. I was, you know, I was doing all this stuff in private and maybe letting some friends see what I was doing. But, you know, it was actually a risk to be a textile (laughs) entrepreneur or what have you as a kid at that age and being a boy and using, you know, an art form that is associated primarily with women, at least at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I'm so glad you flourished through all of that. And so were there some artful, creative people in your life that inspired you along the way? Oh, yeah, definitely. My sister, she's the oldest in our family. We have uh, five kids. Um, she's actually a textile artist, and we we have quite a gap, age gap between us. So she was off to college, basically, when I was a toddler. And we didn't know each other all that well when I was growing up. But she was this, you know, amazing creative craftsperson. She was doing craft shows and selling soft sculpture pieces and all kinds of amazing dolls that she makes, these art dolls. And so she was kind of a a great role model for me in terms of, 
you know, what what's possible with textiles. And even though we didn't see each other that much, now we live close to each other and we're pre- pretty much best friends. <laughs> oh, that's so con- great. Yeah, constantly sharing our, our textile creations with each other to this day. So that's been great. So where are you living now and who are your loved ones that you share your world with every day? Yeah, well, I, I mentioned I grew up in Iowa and during college, I moved to Seattle, Washington and lived there for 35 years. In the middle of those 35 years, I met my to-be husband. <laughs> and during the pandemic, we decided we'd like to just go live somewhere quieter, you know, away from the big metropolis. So we moved to a town called Squim, Washington. It's on Washington's Olympic Peninsula, and it's closer to my sister. That was one of the main reasons we moved here. Um, but it's this wonderful, quiet town. It's about 7,500 people. Um, it's dairy farming land, but it's surrounded by mountains and water and all kinds of natural beauty. So it's just a really uh, peaceful place to live. Yeah, it sounds wonderful. And it's not right on the ocean, right? It's like a little bit off the no, ocean. No, it's, it's on the Strait of Juan de Fuca. It's the body of water that comes up above the northwest corner of Washington State and separates us from Canada a little yeah. bit. So we can actually, you know, in the town where my sister lives, we can look across the water and see Victoria, BC. Oh, nice. So, yeah. Okay. So did you head straight into a creative entrepreneurial career early on, or did you do a transition from another job? Are you juggling things? What's going on? Yeah. Yeah. So, oh my gosh, you know, I had kind of an interesting, (laughs) interesting life and people always tell me they kind of admire how I balance all, all the things that I'm doing. But, you know, I started out with studying graphic design in college, got a job right when I was still in school. And I ended up leaving school to do that art director job. It was a a chain of women's clothing stores that was throughout the Midwest of the, the U.S. And um, then I got itchy feet and I thought, why am I living in Iowa when I could live in Seattle, which is where one of my brothers had moved first. So I, I packed up my Volkswagen bug and moved to Seattle in, in 1985 and freelanced. I was a freelance art director doing stuff for the big department stores. And, and then eventually I worked with a, a graphic design firm. And after several, almost a decade and a half of that, I decided I wanted to be on my own again and made a change about 2001 to be independent and do my graphic design practice on my own. And also, you know, work in how I could be an artist too at the same time. Yeah. So it, you know, just looking at your website, we can see that you're balancing the graphic design. You're also a fine artist. And then you're the quilt speaker and teacher. And so we're going to get into all that a little bit later, but let's, let's start with the the nonprofit stuff that you do. So you are a graphic designer for nonprofit only. Why did you choose that? Yeah. Yeah. So I I mentioned, I I kind of started back to being independently, you know, (laughs) doing a business in 2001. And many of my clients were in the LGBTQ world because I was part of a um, a chamber of commerce that was for LGBTQ folks. And and there's something about this community that I belong to where there's a, there's just a big heart and there's a lot of sharing and volunteerism and such. And that kind of rubbed off on me. I was doing a lot of pro bono work for small nonprofits. And I realized that, you know, a lot of them really needed professional help. (laughs) So I started to, you know, charge for what I was doing. And people were very appreciative. I charged less than most, you know, big firms would. And I actually give them 10% of my time as a a pro bono gift. So that, that caught on and it grew to the point where I could just work with nonprofits 
exclusively, which has been really rewarding. Okay, so let's talk. Let's get into the fine art. What's your sure. medium? What's your medium in fine art? Like, is it a stitched paper collage? Tell me about that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Stitched paper collage is kind of how I categorize it. And really, I got to take a pause and say, I think all quilters are artists. And it's only for myself that I kind of make these categories between my stitch paperwork and making a quilt. I think that it's all art and yeah. all, all quilt makers are artists. But anyway, that's my little soapbox. <laughs> like that's great. Quote. Yeah. But yeah, I've been doing this, this kind of stitch paperwork for over 20 years, showing it in galleries. I do a, a process called monotype. So a monotype is basically a wet painting that is printed. You, if you can imagine putting wet paint onto a, a surface, laying paper on it, rubbing it, lifting the paper off, and the, the painting transfers to the, the paper. That's a monotype in essence. Yeah. And I do a ton of monotypes, and then I cut them apart and stitch them back together, just like we do with fabric, mm -hmm. and make my, my paper collages. Oh, and I and some of your work looks like it's richly layered and caustic or something. So tell us about yeah, that. How do you get yeah, that effect? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Some some pieces are are very much like that. They they look like an encaustic painting, which is if you're not familiar, painting with wax and pigment. And um, I kind of try to emulate. I'm so glad you mentioned that because I try to emulate that look of encaustic, but I use all acrylic water based medium to do it. And the reason safer, I do that is, yeah, yeah, it's safer. It's better for me, you know, after many, many years of hanging out in print shops around all these uh, chemicals and such. And then I did learn how to make print monotypes using oil-based inks, but I got really sensitive to it all. And I started to have some, some breathing issues and such oh. being just around the, you know, the volatile organic compounds that come out of some of those materials. So oh. I, I developed a way to work with acrylic paint. Um, matte medium is kind of my glue. It's, it replaces the idea of wax. And I use those materials and they're much, much better for me, uh, much better for the environment. I don't have to use a respirator to work with them. And, yeah. and it gives me the same kind of, you know, rich, a textured look that, that you see. Yeah. So when we were talking before, you mentioned to me that you've had one of your, one of your best shows recently. So yeah. tell us a little bit about the backstory of your latest show. Sure, sure. The backstory is that before the pandemic, three friends and I who are all graphic designers who've known each other for over 30 years, we also practiced artwork of some sort. So there's a ceramic artist, there's a woodworker, there's a digital painter and myself. And we pitched this idea for a group show, you know, over three years ago to a gallery and uh, were accepted. And then the pandemic happened and it got delayed for <laughs> about two and a half years. But I'm really glad that it, it was put off because we all did some more work, of course, in the meantime. And we had this group show this summer in a town here on the peninsula called Port Townsend. It's really, really beautiful port town. And um, it was hugely successful. I, I haven't had that much success in terms of sales. I you know it's lovely to have people see your work, but even nicer when they purchase it at yeah. home. Oh, absolutely. So anyway, it was fantastic. It was just a joy to, to show with my friends, you know, who we've, we've been to friends for so long and been through, you know, work together, plus, you know, figuring out how to be artists at the same time as doing our design work. When you decided to do that show, did you talk about having a specific theme you were going to all try to meet? Or did you create parameters for yourselves, like a color or a size or anything like that? Yeah, not really. We we just wanted to bring our work together because we kind of we kind of recognized that it all kind of 
works symbolically or symbiotically. Yeah, that's the word, symbiotically together. <laughs> so, you know, the, there's a common theme of shape and texture and maybe a little bit of color too, but really we're just all doing what, the work that we love to do. And then it, it looked beautiful when we brought it together in a gallery setting. Oh, good. I would love to see that. Yeah. Okay. And how do you find that you're able to balance these multiple careers all together? Yeah. Yeah. That's the tough thing. And people often compliment me on how I'm able to do this. Sometimes I don't do it as well as maybe people know, <laughs> but I, I actually did something over 20 years ago now that, that really paid off big time. And I worked with a personal coach and she helped me kind of just talk through and work through how did I want my life to be, you know, as like a life coach kind of a person. Yeah. And, you know, this could work really great if you find the right person. And I was so lucky to find the, the right person for me. And she kind of helped me just be able to vocalize, you know, what did I want my life to look like? And yeah. how would how would it be if I could, you know, make time for making art as well as continue my graphic design career. And so anyway, she helped me really carve out the time in my week to make this happen and, and to make it a, a reality. Yeah. I think that's something a lot of people forget is to make the time for themselves first, right? Right. Right. Yeah. 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 So like really simple things like, you know, you're going to have one day a week or whatever it is that is your art day. And you're just not going to respond to the work stuff that day. You're going to be working on your work your artwork is like it's a job and yeah. yeah, and treat it like an equal partner to the other things you do. Yeah, that's so great. Now I noticed something on your website actually about that. You do creative coaching and branding. So tell me a little yeah. bit about that. Yeah. Well, I was another another kind of life enhancing thing I did. This is, oh gosh, bad at time. About 15 years ago almost. Yeah. I went through this professional artist training program. It was offered by a local nonprofit that works with artists to help them, you know, further their careers. And and it was all kinds of things like, you know, how to market yourself, how to talk talk about your work, what does your portfolio look like? How do you approach a gallery? Things like that. And I got so much out of it that I, I realized that, well, I can help other artists too, because I've, you know, I've benefited from this. So just as a as a volunteer, I started giving a presentation for the same program on branding for artists yeah. and how they can, you know, approach doing their logo and their website and their their printed materials in a way that makes a consistent kind of presence. And that evolved into doing some coaching on my own directly with, <laughs> with folks. And I still get approached now and then by individuals who want to have a little private coaching on kind of taking their work to the next level. Because yeah. I've, I've really, I've been through it, you know, and I feel like I have a lot of experience I can share with folks and, um, and encouragement too. Oh yeah. I bet the best coaches are the ones that have gone through it themselves from square right. one, right? Right. Yeah. Okay. So what kind of came first? So we we're talking about your career in design and we're talking about your desire to want to get into your creative practice, but what kind of came first? Was it showing your work in galleries? Was it teaching? the quilt aspect coming in where you're teaching and speaking? How, how did that come and in, in what order? Oh, yeah, gosh. Okay. So I guess probably my art career started just taking some classes when I, when I was, you know, firmly established in Seattle doing my design work and I was yeah. ready to do some fun stuff on the side. And I started taking a few classes at one of the local art centers and, you know, I played with jewelry making and other things, but printmaking 
really intrigued me because it was sort of connected to what I did professionally. You know, mm-hmm. printing commercially was somewhat akin to <laughs> making an art print. And I, I was really lucky. I clicked clicked so well with one of the teachers who's become a real good friend. She's a she's a wonderful artist in Seattle as well. And um, learned her her technique for making mono prints, and then I kind of adapted that to my way of doing it with acrylics, and then using adding the stitching part. So it was just you know dabbling, and then somebody saw what I was doing and said, "Oh, you know, why don't you do a show at our coffee shop?" <laughs> this is how a lot of people get their start, yeah. and and you know that show was terrific. It was at a, a at one of the Seattle coffee shops it's no longer but had a fantastic show I sold a ton of pieces and it was really my first first foray into actually you know presenting myself as an artist and that was about 2000 yeah year 2000 I think that I did that yeah okay so can you tell us a little bit about kind of your creative process in your fine artwork so do you sketch things out before you start or do you just go ahead right into the paint and do the printing first do you do digital things as well or is it all kind of manual with pencil to paper yeah yeah I pretty much my my paper-based artwork is and my quilts too for the most part are, are very manual very unplugged because I do, I work with a computer like we all you know most of us do but you know I do my creative work for clients on a computer yeah. and it's nice to just get away from that so mm-hmm. I don't do a ton of planning I'll, I'll do very rudimentary sketches of an idea sometimes I'll even get fancy and add a little colored pencil in <laughs> on a, a black and white sketch they're so simple but to me it's like a little a little you know note it's a visual note and then I, I can work sort of improvisationally to to yeah. build whatever that thing is that I've made a little sketch of and I, yeah. I love texture so you know if it's paper or if it's a quilt I'm all about the texture and pulling texture together that I really like and and then just start working and pulling it together into compositions. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. And so there's this thing that's happening in the quilt world where people kind of label themselves or they look at a quilt and label it modern or contemporary or vintage scrappy or steampunk even or whatever. Right. So how do you define yourself as a creator? Yeah, I I, I kind of vacillate between saying I'm, I'm a modern quilter. That's that's primarily the thing, the thing I use is modern quilter. But sometimes I say contemporary quilter too, just because I I feel like maybe there's a little like I have one foot in almost almost art quilting, but not quite. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know. Labels are are so fluid, right? I you know, know. One person will look at a piece and think, oh, I see a modern quilt there, or I see an art quilt. You know, it's really up to them to decide what they're looking at and how they want to categorize what they're seeing. Yeah. And I think a lot of times you don't even know what you're doing. You're just creating yeah, free creative right. play until you are actually entering it into a show or something. And you're like, oh, I have to define this as, is this going to go in the piecing category or is this going to go oh, in the negative God. space category? <laughs> exactly. Those those categories drive me insane. I, I, I'm sure it does most people, but like, yeah, I have to pick one. I Come know. On. And sometimes you have a quilt that's pretty small and and it's just like one inch bigger than the small quilts category. It's like, what do Uh I do? (laughs) Right. But I'd love to have a conversation with you about how to confidently say you're an artist. I know this is diving a little bit of a tidbit into one of your lectures, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, really making a quilt takes all the same skills that an artist takes. It takes, you know, skill for one, you know, you have some technical skill. 
I, I think of cultures as being engineers in a way because they have to, you know, figure out how to put this thing together and make it make it hold. <laughs> yeah. But you're you're you know, quilters are also colorists and designers and you know they're react often reacting to social things that are happening in the world. So they're commenting on on you know on current events, you know, in a topical way. So these are all the same things that an artist does. And and I think that quilters are, you know, a lot of people in general who who didn't have a formal art training they they hesitate to say I'm an artist yeah. and and this is silly because it's not like you just because you have a degree that you can now say you're, you're an artist you know if you're you're creating something new even it's if it's from a you know inspired by a pattern or something you're doing it in your own way it's never been made before that exact way and I call that making art so I I always encourage my students to say proudly that they're an artist yeah, <laughs> and claim it. Absolutely. I want to abolish the notion that everyone, anyone would ever say about themselves, oh, I'm just not that creative because yeah. they're coming up with brilliant stuff and we are exactly. all creative, right? Exactly. Yeah. I was, I often had this little thing I, I say in my, at the beginning of my, my workshops that, you know, you're going to probably catch yourself thinking or saying out loud, you know, oh, I'm not doing it right. Or I'm not good enough or this isn't, <laughs> this is crap or whatever. Yeah. But really, you know, that's our inner critic and our inner critics can be so strong. They can, they can hold more power over us than the positivity in our yeah. lives and keep us from doing great things. So I always, I always encourage my students to give, give your inner critic the day off, you know, say, you know, go, go to the corner. You're not needed today. I'm going to just experiment and be free to play and set this time aside. And I'm going to, just play and make things that I like. Okay. So I want to talk a little more about your art before we move on from that. And I just want to talk about, you know, does your series of art change over time? Does it change with theme? Like, does your art tell a story? You know, how, how do you plan a show, for instance? Yeah. You know, I work in such a unplanned way <laughs> that it just evolves and I'll, I'll just end up with a body of work. It, it, it sounds so haphazard, but really, that's how I like to work. When when my the rest of my life is so planned out, and yeah. you know, I'll I'll often pick a maybe a format that I really like. Like I made this series recently that I call my paper quilts because they're a little bit more structured than some of my previous art pieces have been, mm -hmm. and they're made up of in a grid, you know, of little blocks that I've sewn together. These are paper blocks, and then I attach the blocks to each other into a composition. Just kind of like you would a quilt. They don't have batting, so they're not really a quilt, but they're <laughs> sort of quilt shaped. And anyway, so that's kind of how it goes. I'll have an idea that I want to explore and I'll do it in several different ways. And then I'll, I'll move on to something else and, and try that. Yeah, that's so great. Okay. So from there, gradually your art transitioned into quilting. So how did you get introduced to the world of quilting? Yeah, yeah. So I, I grew up in a family that didn't really have quilting as a tradition, even though, you know, I have a sister who's a, a fiber artist. And I we had one, I think one quilt that one of my grandmas had made, it was had kind of a, a cross stitch pattern over the whole thing uh, yeah. that she made for, for my mom for her wedding. But yeah, so I didn't really have a quilting tradition to follow. But I did make a I was encouraged to make a quilt when I was in high school. I don't know how I got the idea to do this. But it was um it was 1976, it was the bicentennial of the, the U.S., 
And I wanted to make this bicentennial quilt. So I got all these sort of antique red, black, and blue instead of red, white, and blue. I got all these different fabrics. I knew nothing about quilting and made this huge quilt. And the batting I used was this poly batting in the 70s. Poly (laughs) batting was really popular. And it was was puffy. It was like three inches thick, I swear to God. (laughs) Yeah. It was. How did you quilt that? (laughs) I didn't quilt it. I tied it, Uh and I I thought I was going to put it under the the needle, but no. (laughs) (laughs) And I ended up making these. Oh, it was so ugly. I ended up making these teen origami folded squares. I was even interested in Japan back then, (laughs) and and quilt. I I tied through these these origami squares onto the surface of the quilt to to be able to tie it and have have it not pop free. Yeah. Oh, anyway, that that quilt disappeared to Goodwill at some point. <laughs> <laughs> but I have I have dabbled in quilting over over the same time that I've been doing paper based work, and I think I was I was kind of frustrated because I felt like the fabric I wasn't finding the fabric that I wanted as an adult to make the quilts that I kind of had in my brain, and it wasn't until maybe about I don't know about fifteen years ago or twelve or so that I felt like quilting fabric took a leap somehow. In, in design. And all of a sudden, there were way more choices. There were new technologies being used to print the fabric. So you weren't just getting, you know, two or three or four color printed fabric, you were getting all these rich, you know, 16 color printed fabrics, yeah. and also digitally printed fabrics. And uh, I personally really love texture. So I'm not so much into, you know, big, big pattern, recognizable patterns, but I love textures that look, look like nature. Yeah. And all of a sudden, there was a lot more of that showing up in the quilt shop. So I, mm-hmm. it kind of lured me back in to wanting to make quilts. And I started experimenting and taking some classes, of course, how we all learn this very social art form that we do. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, that's kind of how, and I and I was still doing the paperwork too, but I was yeah. doing them separately uh, as separate activities. Okay, and your quilt journey blossomed from there. We're going to get into that more after the break. But before the break, I have two more questions for you. I want to ask you, what kind of studio space do you work in at home? I am so lucky, Brandy. I have a brand new studio. I I mentioned that we had moved out to Squim, Washington about two years ago. We had a house built for us, and we just moved in six months ago. And my husband designed basically the floor plan so I could have this whole, I, I think of it as a giant room. It's, it's about 25 by 15, I think it is. Yeah. I have to measure again. Quite large for me <laughs> coming from using a 12 by 12 bedroom. Yeah. And, um, and it's perfect because I've got all my, all my stuff set up. I have beautiful north and east facing windows. I can look out of my east facing windows and there's a heritage dairy farm across the lane. And the cows, actually, they're out there today. The dairy cows are in the pasture that's close to our house today. (laughs) That's so so peaceful and great lighting. I have a a fabric closet and a storage closet as part of my studio. Really, you know, such luxury to have and to feel extremely grateful for the space. Oh, that sounds awesome. And let's give this little shout out to Brian for that. So what part did he play? He designed the whole floor space and... Probably yes, helped yeah, you move he, everything um, as well, right? <laughs> yeah, we we worked with a builder and they had, you know, tons of plans that you could pick from, but none of them was quite what we wanted. And so my husband, Brian, took one one main plan and some elements of others 
to basically build the floor plan that that ended up being our house. And of course, with their with the builders' permission <laughs> to do this, we didn't want to offend them, but yeah. we got what we wanted, and they they built it beautifully. And now now it's offered. Brian teasingly calls it the Mount Brian uh, <laughs> plan. <laughs> the builder offers it as a plan that people can build in one, <laughs> one other one other family is building a house like ours. So that's oh, pretty that's, cool. That's kind of like a spinoff of the House of Brian, the real TV show. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> But now it's a studio. Well, that's so great. Yeah. So, okay. And in this world of fine art and quilting that you've created for yourself, what brings you joy? Oh my gosh. You know, just every day that I get to wake up and walk into this light-filled studio and either make something or meet with a group of quilters and encourage them on their creative path, you know, I, I, I'm so lucky. I don't <laughs> get all choked up. That's good. It's a good thing. I really... I really have an amazing, amazing life here. And uh, the, the best part of it is really interacting with people in the, in the quilting community. Because, you know, quilts, quilts are meant to be these things of comfort. And the way of learning how to make a quilt is such a shared communal experience yeah. that it's just this amazing, uh, giving, encouraging community. And I'm, I feel really lucky to be part of that and be allowed to participate <laughs> not yeah, be <laughs> kicked out because I'm not the right gender or something yeah no that's perfect I feel yeah. the same way and it, you always hear that when you wake up in the morning if you want to just jump out of bed and go then you're probably doing the right thing right yeah exactly right yeah okay so right now we're going to take a quick break and then when we come back we're going to talk all about more of David's quilt design process what he loves to teach and all about his lectures we'll be right back Northcott Fabrics are famous to quilters for their Stonehenge and O Canada collections. Right here on this podcast, we give away fabric from Northcott Collections, Banyan Boutiques, and Figo Fabrics. Look for all of these at your local quilt shop. Northcott, cottons that feel like silk. Do you feel physically and mentally weighed down? Not feeling creative or happy at the end of every day? Dara Thomason has created the perfect solution for you. It's called Love Yourself Thin. It's a lifetime membership for quilters where they guarantee their own permanent weight loss. Discover how to liberate yourself from your old weight loss stories and start living the life you truly want. The website is www.daratomason.com. It's D-A-R-A-T-O-M-A-S-S-O-N. Did you know the Quilter on Fire podcast has up to 4,000 unique listeners per week? And not only that, each advertisement is up for the life of the podcast. If you have a quilting business and you advertise, you need to advertise right here. Drop me an email at brandy at quilteronfire.com to pick your advertising spot today. And we are back with David Owen Hastings. So let's talk more about design. Can we touch on the difference between your fine art for galleries and your modern quilts, which are also a form of art? Yeah, sure. I've, I've sort of kept them a little bit separate. And, and it's only because that's just how I think about it in my brain. When I'm, when I'm working with paper, I'm working with paper. <laughs> when I'm making a quilt, it's a quilt. It seems very simplistic. But, but and the other thing was more of a practical one. And that is that because I've been teaching so much, I haven't been making my own quilt work that much yes. lately. But, I'm doing you know, the same thing. It's, yeah. It's okay. You know, yeah. I'll get to it. I'll get to it. And yeah. 
I did just go see an amazing show that's close by in Everett, Washington last night. And it was so nice to see quilts in person. And I hope people are getting out to see quilts in person again, because it's such a joy to really appreciate them close up. Yeah. And so I guess this could apply for both your art or your quilts, but where do you find inspiration in the world? And like, like if you're out walking or wherever you are and how do you capture it? Yeah. Yeah. I actually talk about this a lot in one of my, my lectures that I give and I, I take inspiration from a lot of places, you know, nature is one and I've always loved gardening and plants and I'm obsessively taking pictures with my camera phone of things that might be a great idea for color or for texture. You know, when, when we travel together, Brian and I, I, I'm always the one taking the picture close up of the rusty railing versus the, you know, <laughs> the too. Eiffel Tower. <laughs> I know my poor husband, I'm always saying stop yeah. the car. Yeah. yeah. I, I see flowers yeah. all over a ditch and I like stop the car. Right. 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 Anyway, I'm always taking pictures and I, I love using things like tools that we have, like, you know, Instagram to get inspired or Pinterest to, to, you know, pin things that I like in a certain, you know, category or what have you. And sometimes I'll just like open up one of those, my Pinterest boards and take about two minutes to look at it. And my brain is off and worrying, you know, and going in a creative direction. And uh, I have a, have a thought that I want to work out. So. Yeah. Yeah. So what's your approach to showing your work to the world? Like, so your fine art might be on its way to galleries, but what about your quilting work? Is that primarily for your workshops? Yeah, it's primarily for the workshops. And I've sort of held off on entering a lot of shows with my quilts, again, mainly because I don't have a, have a ton of extra ones that I, you know, use as examples in my classes. Yeah. So, you know, and, and the other thing is, it, it sound, it's going to sound kind of maybe jaded, but, you know, I've been doing art shows for over 20 years. That's a lot of work, you know, as a visual artist, you maybe spend 20% of your time actually creating. That's probably generous. The rest is marketing, framing, you know, dealing with shipping, you know, labeling, you know, all the other tasks that have to do with getting your art out there and seen. So it's similar with quilts too. So I feel like um, I don't want to spend that time shipping a quilt to a show. I'd rather just go and applaud all the quilts that I get to see when I visit one. No, I probably should say I will be doing this (laughs) again in the future. I will be showing quilts. But for right now, I'm just really enjoying the aspect of teaching and making with others that has been really bringing me joy. So that's yeah. been my focus. Yeah, oh, that's so great. Okay. And so I saw two words on your website, organic abstractions. So yes. it's clear to me that your quilts are abstract, but what, why do you call your pieces organic abstractions? Yeah, it's partly the shapes that I use and partly just the process of making them that's organic. You know, people would call it improv. Mm-hmm. too. But I, I have sort of this organic process of how I make something, if it's a quilt or a, a piece in paper or what have you. Like I said earlier, I, I don't really plan it out too much. I just sort of have a germ of an idea and then I just start exploring and, and see where it goes. Okay. So you shared this a while ago on your Instagram feed. You are going to be on the quilt show with Ricky Sims yeah. and Alex Anderson in yeah. November. So tell us the That's story right. about how that came about. Yeah, yeah. They approached me probably a year ago, I guess now, to be on the show. And I I flew to Dallas. This was back in March 
<laughs> this year to do the taping. Boy, they have an amazing business. They have everything down pat. They have amazing staff. Lilo Bowman, who's the organizing professional, you know, for, for your studio. You should have her on the show if you haven't. I know. Already. I've already invited her. I'm excited to <laughs> yay, have her on the yay. show. She's amazing. And then their producer, Shelly Heesacker. She's fantastic. Anyway, so it, it was really an honor. And you know what the best thing was besides meeting Ricky and Alex and working with the, their staff? is seeing my quilts on the studio wall. One of their employees, Jason, puts hangs all the quilts that are going to be on, on the episode that you appear on. And then every single quilt gets lit with its own perfect little spotlights. And the light is only on the quilt itself. Wow. It's all sort of baffled. I'm, I'm gesturing with my hands, which you can't see on a yeah, podcast. Okay. <laughs> but it, it was so great. And I was so excited that I... I I just took some quick snaps. I wish I had taken more time to get excellent pictures because they were like, like the best lighting there will ever be in. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Oh, that's really cool. And so, yeah. okay, so what was it about what you were doing at the time in your teaching and speaking world that got them interested in you? How did that come about that they asked you to be on the show? Yeah, I think they noticed the the paper thing, the stitching paper and the modern quilting. And, and also, you know, I have this firm belief in the, this symbiotic relationship between piecing and quilting. Mm -hmm. And they, the two things should be given equal attention and the quilting maybe even more than, than the piecing, because I see it as like this, this beautiful layer of design that can, you know, float on top of what, what the piecing is. I, I always often talk about the piecing as like your canvas. And then the quilting is a drawing on the surface of your canvas. Yeah. And uh, anyway, so they liked that. And in fact, Alex invited me to <laughs> come down to California in December to teach a private class for she and her bunch of her friends. So because she really liked what I was doing, especially in terms of working with architecture as a way to develop a quilt design. So that'll be fun. I get to go oh. go back and spend some more time with her and her wow. family. What, <laughs> what an exciting opportunity. Well, yeah. so can you tell us, are you allowed to tell us in advance what you taught on the show or what you showed? What was, what were they? Uh, yeah, I demonstrated a bunch of little snippets of my techniques. One is stitching what I call a paper maquette. So in the art world, there's a practice of making a, a small study of whatever your art piece is going to be. Maybe it's a sculpture and you do it in clay first and then ah. you do it in bronze later. Yeah. And this is called making a maquette, a French word. And um, so I, I take my students through this process of stitching little paper maquettes that, that would be very simple, modern, minimal quilt design. And we kind of think about things like value of the, the shapes and also thinking about the quilting lines as being a major design element. So how mm -hmm. the shapes of the piecing work together with the quilting lines. And since we're only stitching paper, it's very quick. We can make these little tiny maquettes and make dozens of them if we want <laughs> to oh, explore cool. a lot of ideas. And um, anyway, that's one of the things that I demonstrate on the show that I think people will enjoy seeing. Oh, that's really cool. And so did yeah. they give you some parameters of you have this many segments and you need to create this many things and you, did you create all the step outs in advance and how did that all yes. work? Yes, exactly. Yeah. They gave me the number of things I was going to be able to talk about. And then we also had some time to just sit and chat and there's going to be a little, you know, like casual part of, of the show. If, if folks are subscribers to the quilt show, they'll be familiar with the format. 
For sure. It's, it's really a rich platform with tons of amazing artists showing their work and how yeah. to do it. So it's yeah. so worth it. Like for the price that you pay, it's just so much content. It's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So have there been any other highlights along the way in your quilting journey once you sort of, you know, opened yourself up to the world of teaching and speaking in the quilting industry? Oh gosh. You know, you know, getting invited to be at QuiltCon was pretty nice. I have to yeah. say, because I think of that as the, you know, like my, my modern quilting Mecca. Absolutely. So let's talk so, about that. QuiltCon is coming uh, sure. up. It's coming up in the new year in what, February, probably? Yes, February. Okay. It's February. And what are you teaching there? I'm teaching two workshops twice each because <laughs> one is one is one that I did last year, or I guess this current year. And it was so popular that they asked me to repeat it. Nice. And it's called Mini Mid Mod Quilts. Yeah. And we make these little coaster size quilts. And the whole thing is meant to help you explore minimal uh, design, sort of inspired by mid-century modern aesthetic. And, and then also to have a little dabble in some hand quilting. So we do a little Sashiko inspired hand quilting to embellish these little guys. And because they're small, again, I love working small. <laughs> yeah. They they can be completed in a three hour class. And then then they're they're kind of irresistible. You kind of want to go home and just make them for a month and not, not do anything else because yeah. they're quite fun. And the other one is kind of a, a new version of one that's been one of my most popular workshops, which is that workshop is inspired by architecture. And I'm doing a new version for QuiltCon that the first time it'll appear there. And it's called Minimal Composition from Architecture. And what we'll do, it's not a sewing workshop. It's a complete design and planning workshop. So we'll go through the steps of how to look at, actually how to take photographs of architecture and make them interesting designs to work from, from the start. And then how to start to take them apart, take elements out of them, for piecing ideas and also for, for quilting ideas. So that, that again, is a, a three-hour non-sewing workshop at QuiltCon, and I'll be doing it twice. And of course, both workshops are full. I'm sorry yeah. to say. No, that's... <laughs> Anyone <good>. listening? That's <laughs> wonderful. But they but will be... Yeah. That's so great. That's so great. Okay. And you'll also be doing a lecture or two. How, yeah. how many lectures are you doing? Just one this time. And it's with my good friend, Teresa Durye Wong. She's a, a quilt maker, historian, and author. And she and I have gotten to be really good friends through our mutual love of Japan. And um, we're presenting a co-lecture called 10 Modern Masterpieces. Oh. And we're going to, it's kind of in celebration of the 10th anniversary of QuiltCon. So we picked, we picked 10 quilts and quilt makers that we're going to shine a spotlight on. You know, it's our opinion. You know, there's yeah. a million great masterpieces of quilts out there, of course. But we're going to shine a light on 10 quilts that we feel are are really worth applauding from, from the last 10 years or so. And we're also going to do a little flash review of our favorites from the last 10 years of QuiltCon from the award winners. Oh, so nice. that'll, that'll be quite a fun talk. Oh my gosh, that sounds like such yeah. a great talk. And I'm so excited that I'm going to be there. So I'll definitely be able Yay. to take that in. But I can't take your classes, but that's okay. I never take classes anyway. I'm always podcasting busy. so busy. <laughs> I never have time for the classes. So of all the workshops that you do, what, what's your favorite one? Oh gosh. <laughs> Picking a favorite child or something. <laughs> I guess I'm going to say today, <laughs> my answer is yeah. <laughs> Indigo Modern. So oh. indie, I developed Indigo Modern because I've 
I've met so many people who've dabbled in shibori dyeing of fabric in indigo, or they perhaps they've collected indigo blue and white fabric themselves from Japan or Africa or somewhere. And I thought, oh, this is a great design challenge to develop modern quilts using potentially vintage fabric or something that looks very hand-dyed. How can we make this fabric into a, what's a modern aesthetic in a quilt. So that's one of the workshops I really love doing because for one thing, I love everything about Japan and <laughs> dying with indigo. But I also love, you know, challenging students to push their design skills. And, you know, I call it stretching your design muscle. Yeah. And, you know, thinking about new ways you can work with specifically fabric that has pretty strong design to it already. Yeah. And how can we make this into a, a cool modern minimal design? So, yeah. Uh, that's quite fun. Yeah. Okay. And so we can't book your lecture that you're doing at QuiltCon because that's a co-authored lecture, right? But what kind of lectures do you do other than that? Yeah, probably my most popular one is Minimal Design, Maximum Impact. Wow. And it's a lecture all about modern minimalism and quilting and how to appreciate it, what is to appreciate about this aesthetic. And it's quite fun. It's been really popular. And uh, part of it is sort of a I call it a virtual gallery walk. We visit three quilters that I really admire and look at their work and talk, really talk about what we're seeing. And I, I try to help the participants kind of look at art and quilting in a more objective way. You know, what am I seeing here? And why is it that I like this piece? And maybe if I don't like it, what is there to appreciate about this yeah. style or this method or that kind of a thing? So that's been a really fun one. And, you know, from people who think of themselves as traditional quilters to very modern quilters all seem to really enjoy it and find it inspiring and something new to take away as well. Okay. And do you have more than one? Yeah, I do. I do. I, I have, I mentioned Japan. I have always had this fascination with Japan since I've been a little kid and um, I got to go there. It was my second time about four years ago, right before the pandemic and spent a month. And I, I developed a lecture based on my experience dyeing fabric with indigo while I was there in Japan. So we'll, I talk about um, shibori, which is a bound resist technique that most people are pretty familiar with. Uh, but I also talk about katazome, which is paste resist. So applying a rice paste through a stencil yeah. onto the fabric and that creates a resist yeah. uh, for dyeing. So, oh, And awesome. I talk about culture and food and architecture because yeah. it's all inextricably linked together to me, you know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Okay. You touched on something earlier and I don't want to let it slip by. I really love how you kind of marry the piecing and the quilting. So let's get deeper into that relationship between the fabric or piecing and the quilting for you. Right, right. Yeah. So I, I touched on this a little bit with talking about paper maquettes and kind of yeah. starting to build the ability to see the quilting lines as akin to the piecing, but not necessarily just following the shapes that we often do. <laughs> so one of the things I have students do is take a look at your piecing and maybe there's a significant shape in there somewhere that kind of pops out at you, something that is a key element. And what I'll often do is like take that key element shape, I'll lift it out of the design rotate it maybe 90 or 180 degrees or just arbitrarily. And then I'll plop it down on the surface of the quilt and draw around it and then start quilting from there. 
So you're taking an element that's in the piecing, but using it as a quilting motif, but not exactly where, you know, it's happening. You're placing it somewhere else. And for some reason to my eyes, this gives it a little lift, you know, it kind of pulls it out of the surface of the the piecing and helps it kind of float over the surface of the, the quilt itself a little bit more. Yeah. And also, how do you how do you approach the different weights of thread and, and hand versus machine stitching in your classes? Yeah, yeah. So I, I have been mostly focused on machine quilting with a walking foot primarily to get straight lines and a lot of polygons and straight line shapes and then also curving lines. I teach this awesome technique for stitching gentle long curves into the surface of quilts. It's something I I started doing my, with my stitch paperwork where I'm adding long curving lines of, of stitching on the paper and I just translated that to quilts. But then now in the last year or so, I've really been interested in, in introducing some hand stitching into the machine yeah. stitching as well. So for different textures. So I'll, I'll often you know partially quilt with the machine just to get everything nice and secure and then do some big stitch hand quilting, either you know something inspired by Sashiko perhaps, like a little you know, grid-like design of some sort, or just, you know, doing some long running stitches that kind of emulate what I've done with the machine, but giving it this different layer of texture. And, you know, of course, the color pops more with pearl cotton that I that I use for hand stitching. And so that's been quite fun to, to start to mix it up and see what yeah. happens. And for machine stitching, how do you stitch? Do you have a long arm or do you do most of your work on a domestic machine? I, I do both. <laughs> I have there you go. I have a sit down Bernina Q24. I love it. It hasn't been turned on since I've moved. <laughs> <laughs> I've been primarily stitching on my domestic Bernina 570 Quilters Edition. And I love that machine. But, you know, like anyone, I have several machines and I use them for different t- techniques and yeah. uh, pull out what I need at the time. So my beautiful sit down long arm is going to get turned on, I think, this winter. Oh, good. <laughs> That's my goal. Okay, good. Oh, good, good. <laughs> okay. Now, color is a huge feature in your work. So how do you approach yes. color? Yes. Okay. So this kind of harkens back to, it's, it's all interrelated. It harkens back to my learning how to make prints, how to make mono prints. So I mentioned early on our conversation, the teacher that I really liked, who became a friend, who taught me mono printing. And one of the exercises she gave us as beginning printers, printmakers, is to start with just two colors and see how much interesting variety you can get. Say, if you just start with yellow ink and black ink and then transition, you know, add different values, mixing the two colors together and just use that restriction of two colors different values of the same colors and the two colors blended together. And this has kind of stuck with me in my quilt design. And now I pretty much almost exclusively, I would say, (laughs) work with two colors. And one of them is usually a neutral and the other is usually a bright, brighter color. And I'll see how much I can do to make an interesting design, just working with that simple, you know, limitation. So yeah. I, I like it. It's kind of a relief because to me, you know, I feel like our lives are so, you know, bombarded with information and I don't know, we're constantly getting inputs, inputs, inputs. And sometimes it's nice to just have a quieter, simpler, you know, parameter to work within when you're making something creative so that you're not, you're not considering the whole crayon box. You're, you're yeah. just pulling out two colors <laughs> and see, you know, force yourself. How can I make make something interesting today with this. 
Yeah, it really is great to give yourself a parameter of some kind, whether it's size or color or whatever. So we can find those lectures on the website. If you go onto the website, davidowenhastings.com, click on over to textiles on the right, and you can scroll down and see workshops, lectures, and even his event calendar. Okay. So another thing I wanted to talk about was that you have a YouTube channel. So tell us what we'll find on there. Yeah, it's basically just previews of gigs that I have coming up, mostly for shows. So either virtual quilt shows or in person, and I'll do a little preview. I have a couple of videos that I've where I've recorded everything that I offer, a little, yeah. a little talk through so that guilds can look at that and kind of, you know, hear me talking about each class or each lecture that I give. So let's talk about this little video. Why did you originally create that? I think one of the first videos I had to make was for the Global Quilt Connection, which is a wonderful organization started by three women who are basically exist so that us teaching artists have a platform so that guilds can find out about what we offer. And it's been hugely beneficial to people like me exposing us to guilds all over the world. You know, I've, I've got guilds in Iceland and Australia, besides, you know, North America and students will attend from places like Chile or whatever. It's been really great. So the Global Quilt Connection is is like a informal, you know, sorority of people who teach quilting techniques. And it's a great way for guilds to then go and find out, you know, who who are the teachers and what are they teaching? And maybe I'll want to hire one of them to (laughs) present to our guild. So it's been, it's been great. Absolutely. I love it too. And they do these really cool events where your guild can sign up and pay one fee. Everyone in your guild can watch this all-star selection of like 15 minute tidbits, right? Yes, I just did that. It's called a sampler platter. And I just participated this last month and uh, gave a demo of how I like to label my quilts. This Uh is something that people have noticed when I show show my quilts. They really like my labels. Oh. So now that demo has been evolved into a, a new lecture that's on my website, <laughs> uh, quilt, quilt Labels to Love. I'll show you how I do my my labeling, which I think of as branding. So, yeah. you know, you're an artist, you're making the piece yeah. of art, you're branding your creation with your information. And yeah. it's also great for, um, you know, for recording important details for posterity, because who knows what journey your quilt will take, you know, beyond your hands. It, yeah. it, may, it may go far and someone will want to know who it was who made it, where was it made, you know, that kind of a thing. Yeah. Such a great idea. Okay. So one more question before we get into the lightning round, Robin, I wanted to sort of get a glimpse in the day of David Owen Hastings. So do you carve out your time specifically for graphic design or, you know, do you structure your day on your calendar? You're always doing the same thing or is it kind of a free creative play all day long? Oh, oh my gosh. No, no. I'm a, I'm a Virgo with the organization gene. tendency. <laughs> <laughs> so I have a very, very clear calendar planned out. Usually, you know, typically my week looks like Monday through Thursday is typically working on graphic design clients. And then Friday's my studio day. And then I'm managing my teaching gigs, you know, responding to requests and doing all that marketing stuff in sprinkled in between that throughout the week. And I try not to do too much work on the weekends, but yeah. the pandemic has been an enabler <laughs> for yeah. that kind of behavior. <laughs> yeah, I typically teach on, on nights and weekends. So that's kind of how, how my week looks. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you have really good balance there. Yeah. Okay. So now it's time for the lightning round, Robin. It's a series of rapid fire questions and it's super fun. Are you ready? I think so. 
Okay. <laughs> what is your favorite notion or tool? Oh my gosh. Okay. I, it's, it's super humble, but y- you know what a hair marker is? Yes. It's the tool that you used to mark lines on your quilt sandwiches. Yeah. Well, my favorite tool is a large size paper clip with a little piece of blue tape wrapped around one end of it, because that can work just like a hair marker. And, ah. you know, your hair markers probably disappeared or been buried by fabric <laughs> in your studio. Yeah, <laughs> but you can true. always find a large size paper clip and <laughs> use it just like a hair marker on the surface of your quilt. Oh, that's great. Okay. And what is something your quilting community may not know about you? Oh, my goodness. Let's see. Okay, here's one. I sang in the Seattle Men's Chorus for over 30 years and traveled the world with <laughs> tours and concerts. And that was really a joy. It's, a, it's one, of the, one of the oldest gay men's choruses in North America and made so many wonderful friends over the years. It's one of the places I joined when I first moved to Seattle. And it was a huge part of my life for over 30 years. And I still am very, very close friends with a lot of those guys. Oh, that is so great. So what voice type are you? A baritone, upper baritone. Upper baritone. I don't even know what that yeah. means, but I just thought it would be a cool question to ask. <laughs> Sound, sounds pretty sophisticated, huh? Yeah, I know. I <laughs> sing really, really well, but only in my car or alone in the shower. Alone. And, and I only <laughs> sing with 250 other people. I do not sing alone. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay so you're not going to drop a chorus right here for me now. <laughs> No. (laughs) Okay. So let's get into the next question. As a creative person, do you have any collections like thimbles or anything? Oh my gosh. I do have quite a few collections and let's see what, which one should I mention? I think one of my favorites is I like collecting little monuments from different places I've traveled and, you know, I, I love Asian culture. So Many of my little figurines are either Buddhas or some kind of a deity or something like that from from Asia. I also had, used to have a bunch of buildings. I kind of let the buildings go at one point because I just had too many. Yeah, but I do I do love my little figures because I look at that and I you know I look at a little kneeling Buddha that I collected in you know in Vietnam or something and I'll I'll think about the time that I spent there and all the creative, you know, adventures I had when I was traveling. So yeah, nice to think back on times like that. Okay. And do you have any kind of little reward system for getting work done? Oh my gosh. I always have rewards. (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to think of what, you know, it used to be travel. Like if I was, if I worked really, really hard, I could take, you know, take a, a, a nice long trip, but I just haven't done that. Of course, like a lot of people lately. So I'm going to think about walking the, this sounds really mundane, but, you know, walking the dog in our neighborhood after a really good class or lecture yeah. is so, is so peaceful where we live. is just so, you know, pastoral and it's just very healing to be out there in, in the yeah. outdoors with, with the dog in, in particular. Yeah. And that leads right into my last question. Do you have any yeah. furry friends in the studio? Oh, yes. Yes. Her name is Allie. Um, she's asleep here in the corner of the studio right now. <laughs> she's a she's a rescue. We've had her for over ten years now, and she's getting to be an older girl, losing her hearing, but she's still quite lovely and one of our you know she's our baby. So. <laughs> How sweet! Okay, thank you for braving the lightning round, Robin. Oh, so, my pleasure. Oh, great. So your we mentioned your website is davidowenhastings.com, where we can see everything you have to offer. But where's the best place for quilters to connect with you on social media? Oh yeah, Instagram. Please, please follow me. I would love it. You can visit at David Owen Hastings, just my full name, <laughs> to okay. find me. And really, that's where I'm keeping everything current and 
showing what I'm up to creatively and when what classes I have that are maybe open enrollment that people can join as individuals too. So that's a good thing to follow me for. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Oh, good. Yeah. Because a lot of times people write in and they say, oh, where can I take this person's class? And often it's a guild. They teach at guilds. But if you have open enrollment classes, that's different because that's open to everyone online, right? Yes. 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 I have a a good mix of both guild workshops and lectures and open enrollment events too. Oh, great. Okay. Now I'm going to mention this week's contest giveaway. David is giving away three meters of vintage indigo. I'm not three fat cord, three meters of vintage indigo. What? David, this is such a generous prize. Can you describe it to us? <laughs> yeah, it's this beautiful um, yukata cotton. It's the, the lightweight cotton that is meant for making summer weight kimono. It's about 14 inches wide. So it's in a, about a meter long, which is kind of the, the length of the repeat of the screen that was used to print it. Yeah. And it comes from my good friend, Patricia Bellier's shop called Oaken Arts. And they're an online only store of all vintage Japanese fabric. So if you, you can visit oakenarts.com to shop and see some examples of beautiful vintage cottons that work great for quilts. Oh, and I've seen it. It's gorgeous. So I think I'm yeah. going to be visiting that website right after this podcast. <laughs> that looks <laughs> so good. Okay. Well, that is so generous. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Okay, now if you are on the Quilter on Fire email list, you will see the link to the prize giveaway every Tuesday on the podcast. You have to be on the email list in order to see that. So if you're not, you just simply go to quilteronfire.com, scroll down to the bottom of the page and type in your email right there. And you'll get the Tuesday podcast preview. Now, as we wrap up, David, what do you want quilters to take away most from our conversation today? I'm going to just say, start thinking of yourself as an artist if you don't already, because this is a shift in your mindset and in your value of yourself as a creative person. And I don't know, just try it on. Just practice saying it. If you have to say it in the shower and go into a closet and say it out loud, (laughs) give it a try. Say, say, I am an artist. And maybe you'll start believing it (laughs) soon. Such a good comment to end with. And, you know, yeah, say it in the mirror and give yourself a high five too, because you deserve it. Awesome. (laughs) David, I just loved having you on the show. Thank you for being here. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me, Randy. Okay. So that was my show with David Owen Hastings. When I watched his lecture, I liked how he went beyond the usual trunk show or show and tell with the extra tidbits of information. He goes into his inspirations and the people who inspired him. He talks about design elements, you know, all the kind of bonus stuff, but then he'll also add in a list of those links and online resources in the chat. And he really encourages you to do more after the lecture is over. I admire how he has combined his career as a graphic artist and his philanthropic approach with his fine art practice and love of modern minimalism in his teaching and lectures. This is a creator you're going to want to keep an eye on, and I loved having him on the show. Oh, and don't forget, he'll be featured on thequiltshow.com with Ricky Timms and Alex Anderson coming up this November, so be sure to check that out. Now, are you loving this podcast? I get so many wonderful emails after each podcast where listeners point out a particular thing that made them smile or resonated with them, and I love it. Keep those emails coming. But there is something else you can do. Try giving this podcast a review. Simply find Quilter on Fire in your podcast app, go to all episodes, and scroll down to ratings and reviews. Just below that, you'll see a link to write a review. I hope I'm giving you five stars of value with this podcast. The kindest thing you can do to support a creator is to introduce them to your friends. 
and a great review does just that. The countdown is on to cruising the Caribbean. Only seven months to go before we set sail. Book now before the spots are all gone. Just imagine the gorgeous blue-green waters, the sandy beaches, and a super fun quilt project to top it off. Don't delay. Start your dream countdown today. Go to stitchinheaven.com and search for Patrick Pirates. The cruise sets sail May 14th, 2023. Thank you for listening to the Quilter on Fire podcast. Until next time, dream big and have fun in the studio with the Quilter on Fire.